But, you know, I got I got a Korean friends. I got Vietnamese friends. You know, I got Filipino friends. I got, you know, you name it. Asian are pretty diverse. But um, a lot of them have told me that they don't, they've never had Cambodian food before, which is interesting because, like, we're neighbors, you know, like, Vietnam is right next to us, you know, Thai is right next to us, and, and yet we haven't, most of them, I, I've had plenty of Thai food and Vietnamese food and, and everyone's types of foods, but a lot of them have told me that not, not a lot of them actually have actually had Cambodian food. Welcome to Proudly Asian, a podcast series that tells bold and proud stories of Asians by Asians. I'm Isabel Wong, a financial journalist who wants to uncover the many Asian stories around us that are waiting to be told. There's never just one way to look at Asians. This podcast will take you through a deep dive into the life stories, struggles and triumphs of young Asians around the world. On today's episode, we have Johnny Chong, the founder of Juice Bar, Sweetgrass Sugarcane Juice, and Cambodian caterer, The Golden Skewer. Born and raised in LA, Johnny is the son of Cambodian refugees. He joins us to talk about his entrepreneurial journey, the representation of Cambodian cuisine, and what we can learn about Cambodian culture through its food. Welcome back to Proudly Asian, continuing our very special limited series of Proudly Asian Food Month. This week, we are talking all things Cambodian cuisine, and I'm so glad to be welcoming in Johnny, who is joining us from Long Beach, California. Welcome to Proudly Asian, Johnny. Thanks for joining us. Hey, what's up? Yeah, great to have you. And I know it's pretty early in the morning for you. So thanks so much for making the time for us. So before we get into the business that you're currently running, you know, your ventures, for our listeners to know a little bit more about you, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Who are you? What are you? And where did you grow up? Uh, my name is Johnny. I grew up in Long Beach, California. Um, usually that's kind of the capital of well, where Cambodians are in America here. Um, I think Long Beach is known for being the most populous place other than Cambodia for Cambodians. So uh, most of us are here. I own a couple businesses, a couple startups, mostly known for um, Sweetgrass, which I started during the pandemic. Um, Sweetgrass is a sh- fresh sugarcane juice concept. And uh, currently I uh, own a storefront for that. Uh, and then off of that, I started another uh, Cambodian food concept, which is called the Golden Skewer. Um, and we serve uh, lemongrass beef skewers as our um, our main product that we sell. And then uh, I have a couple other startups. But um, yeah, that's pretty, been pretty much what, what I do so far right now. Amazing. So you're a um, serial entrepreneur in the F&B space in California. But just uh, to get a little bit more of your experience growing up in California as a Cambodian kid, tell us a little bit more about what it was really like growing up for you and what was breakfast like for you? Well, we didn't have much of an American breakfast. I mean, I mean, I, I actually did enjoy that. But breakfast, uh, lunch and dinner is all the same. <laughs> what are they? <laughs> I mean, like noodles, 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 and noodles. That's pretty much what I've lived off of from from a kid all the way up to college. You know, so noodles of noodles. That's I don't think I can go without noodles. Like, but you know, 
growing up in um in Long Beach, I mean, I think most of my peers could agree. Like it was for our parents, it was a bit of a culture shock. Most of our parents immigrated here uh, from refugee status. So it wasn't really like a choice for us to like come out here. We, we were seeking re- refuge as far as my parents go. So uh, growing up, you know, we, we spoke English and a lot of my peers have this issue as well, where we're just a bit of a language barrier between our, our parents and us as well. So, you know, I was like 10 years old reading like government documents from my mom trying to translate that shit. <laughs> so it's like, um, yeah, it was just um, we, a lot of us kind of raised ourselves really, you know, like traditional, trying to stay traditional, but then also like assimilate to American culture. So it's, um, I mean, still to this day, it's it's still a bit of like a, a lot of conflict between um, those two. And um, yeah, it was, uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of immigrants can probably attest to that as well. For sure. And if you don't mind me asking, what was your parents' immigration journey? How did they eventually end up in America? And when they arrived, what was it that they did? Were they kind of in food business or were they doing something completely different? Completely different. Um, I mean, the trek of Cambodians to America, you, you probably hear the story of life, you know anything about Cambodians. Um, there was a genocide uh, that happened in the 70s. I want to say 90% of us I probably probably escaped that war. So like when, when my parents, um, like my my grandma and my mom made it out, and my dad made it out here, um, leaving behind pretty much all of their family. Um, they all got split up during the time where where communists came over and took over the country. And so, um, my grandma didn't even get a chance to even grab any of the other kids. She was just out shopping with uh, my mom, and so they just got pushed into like a camp, and it was just a crazy story. I mean. My mom and my grandma probably went through some stuff that no human should ever ever go through, you know, from starvation, from forced labor, from pretty much trying to survive. Pretty traumatic stuff. I know a lot of older Cambodian people here probably have a lot of untreated trauma from from the shit that they saw uh, during that war. And and, um, and so a lot of us, a lot of the kids and a lot of, like, you know, my peers, we, we deal with a lot of the uh, intergenerational trauma. But um, for me to still be here and push through and break through, it means a lot for me. And uh, it means a lot for me to break through than it can mean for most people, in, in my humble opinion, because of uh, of what my people went through and what my parents went through and the type of uh, stuff that I went through as well. So, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy story. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it has st- still untold. A lot of them don't like to talk about it because it does bring up, like, traumatic experiences. And so a lot of people just... Ignore it, but in at uh, to a fault, they have a lot of untreated trauma that they'll probably just go to a grave with, and it's up to me to break that cycle. Yep, that's where I'm at right now. I can imagine for a lot of Cambodian Americans or even Asian American communities that also came from kind of like a whole or a few generations of survivors full of resilience. So now they're out there doing amazing things like yourself. Like you said, it resilient. Yep. Like I think that's kind of um. The word that describes us, like it kind of fits us the best, is that being resilient. And, For sure. Um, that's carried that's carried me into my business as well, just because uh, nothing was ever easy for me, and like uh, I don't, I didn't really have any like mentors starting this business and stuff. So, but my resilience and my grit pulled me through, and having that characteristic had carried me to this point right now. 
And just a quick follow up about you growing up Cambodian American. You know, like as a kid, did your family make sure that you were also connected with your Cambodian heritage, or did you ever have any questions around whether you were like Cambodian American? That kind of identity confusion. <laughs> confusion is the right word. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, we did a lot of traditional things too. Um, I, I mean, we stay connected with our culture. My mom and my parents and stuff. Um. But growing up was pretty confusing as well because, um, like I said, there was that language barrier. It was hard to communicate in deeper terms. Like, like, um, well, I knew how to communicate, but we didn't really understand like truly our identity, you know. So, like, I think a lot of a lot of us kind of grew up on the streets, or like grew up in you know public schools and learning from that. And so, um, I think it wasn't until I got a little older. That I started to understand like who I am, what's my identity, how we got here, and so I did travel to Cambodia recently. I wish I would have did it earlier. You know, after touching down in you know homegrown soil, it really kind of uh, clicked with me uh, where my parenthood came from and and what their trek was. And so um, having a deeper understanding with that gave me like a better understanding of my identity and why I I, sh- I shouldn't like. Uh, why I should um it, it, it when I came back to America it gave me an understanding of like how much opportunity I really do have, and so I didn't want to squander those opportunities and so um kind of lit a fire up my butt and um at that point on I mean you know your parents always tell you like oh yeah yes you know you're so lucky this you know back in my country you know we used to walk to school or whatever you know whatever those stories are <laughs> and, stuff. and you know you, you you don't really like um uh, what's the word you don't really um like appreciate yeah. You know, the, the stories mean a lot more when you actually go back there and, and see, mm. see, you know, those dirt roads and things like that. Was it your first time in Cambodia? Yeah. Yeah, it was my first time in Cambodia. Yeah, and then, you know, when you're in a country where everybody's speaking Khmer, you uh, you kind of force yourself to to just speak Khmer, the language. And so uh, I got a little bit better, too. So, you know, when I got back here as well, I um, tried to practice a little bit more because, unfortunately and pessimistically, I think in a couple more years, the language will be forgotten. Um, and so I uh, try my best and at least to the best of my abilities to practice it as much as I can. And I actually do that with a lot of customers too because I do have a, a sugarcane shop in Long Beach. And so a lot of old folks, they do come by and um, because it does remind them of home or whatnot. And um, I do speak to them in my language and they're like usually surprised. Like, oh, wow, you know, you, he's, uh, I speak pretty well. I, I I can enunciate, and I I sound like I'm really from Cambodia. Some some of the uh, some some of them ask me too, like, oh, um, when when did you you know immigrate uh, from Cambodia to um, um uh, to America? I'm like, oh, actually, I was born out here. Like, oh, okay, yeah, you good, you know. But yeah, I'm trying to sharpen it a little, you know, 0.5 percent every time, you know, one percent every time. Wow, that's impressive. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, like growing up, did you ever have any moments where, you know, it's kind of like experiencing a little bit of lunch shaming, let's say if your mom packed food that wasn't like what American food would look like to other kids, right? I went to Poly High School, which had a lot of Cambodians, so I didn't really get much lunch shaming. Um, But if there was any, it's usually probably like the fish sauce. Some people can't really deal with it, and that's kind of... That's kind of like our our traditional dipping sauce, which is which is the fish sauce. But um, for the most part, no, I didn't I didn't experience that. Like like I said, like the city is full of Cambodians. I think um, Long Beach, um, greater part great part about growing up in Long Beach is very diverse. 
and everybody kind of gets, well, for the most part, most people get along, but um, if they don't get along, at least kind of re- people respect our differences um, and they understand. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't really get too much of that. I mean, of course you do. It just, but those people didn't matter anyways. Anybody who was hating or whatever, <laughs> their opinion doesn't matter, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I just want to quickly understand a little bit more about Cambodian cuisine because for our international listeners who might not have as much knowledge about what Cambodian cuisine really is, I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about what really is Cambodian food? What are the common dishes and ingredients used in the cuisine? Um, that's a good question because, like, I feel like we're probably the most underrepresented group. I mean, Asians are already kind of a marginalized group, and then we're like kind of an invisible group underneath in a marginalized group. Um, when it comes to Southeast Asia, you know, you hear about Thai, you hear about Vietnamese food, um, uh, Filipino food, but you don't really hear much about Cambodian food. I mean, in a sense, they, a lot of it is pretty similar. A lot of us use fish sauce. A lot of us use the same ingredients, obviously, because of the region that we're from. Um, but there are a couple differences that I feel like does separate us from the rest. One of it, just to highlight, a very distinctive flavor that we use is something called krung, which is uh, like a lemongrass paste. Um, obviously, it has all the other spices as well, like, you know, galangal, there's ginger, there's, there's garlic and things like that. But... There's something called kudung that we use, and it's a lemongrass paste that gets used in a lot of soups and a lot of marinades. Uh, if there's one thing that I'd recommend for anybody if you are, ever run into a Cambodian restaurant is our lemongrass beef skewers, um, which is very unique. Um, because I don't think, as far as I, under, I don't understand, I don't think anybody else uses uh, that ingredient for their beef sticks or their beef skewers. But um, that's kind of how I got started with the golden skewers because I thought it was a very unique uh, flavor and not only that it's a pretty palatable um uh flavor for most people to taste and so it's not um obviously in some asian cuisines you got your you know you got your stinky stuff you got your fermented stuff and things like that and the beef skewers i thought was the most translatable um flavor to um, the american tongue or just the international tongue if you will and it's uh kind of self-explanatory it's meat on a stick you know but the uh the flavor really pulls through with the uh, lemongrass and um the great part about that is um, it's not easy to make. And so if I ever showed you like a video of, of me making the uh, lemongrass beef sticks, you'd probably say, man, that's a whole lot of work. I probably don't want to do that. But if, if somebody had made that for me, you'd probably really appreciate it. So um, there's a lot of value. There's a lot of hard work and execution in, in, in that dish that most people don't understand and unless you actually see how it's made. So we currently operate the Golden Skewer out of LA right now. And um, whenever we're cooking it, um, People do come back and say like, hey, this is, I've never, they, they can't quite put their finger on what it is that they're tasting, but they know they like it. Yeah. So um, that, that, that business is, is kind of on the up and up right now. It's starting to get really popular. And so um, we're just showcasing it on a big stage uh, right now uh, at a place called Smorgasburg, LA, which is a huge market, international market. People travel from all over the world to go there. And um, we're, uh, we're able to showcase um, one of our best dishes, the most palatable dish. That's what we chose uh, to put in the forefront to show, showcase uh, Cambodian food. 
So of course there are some Cambodian dishes like you mentioned the beef dish that would be a little bit easier for people who are just starting to have this introduction to Cambodian cuisines right but what are the dishes that are close to your heart or like does Cambodia have a national dish because in Myanmar they would have a national dish like mohinga or like in Laos they would have lab then what is the national dish of Cambodia <laughs> the national dish um, I mean, I think like officially it's like this thing called fish amok, which I don't really eat too often. Um, but if you would ask me what I would make it, um, shoot, I don't know, a, a million things are coming to my head right now, but like, I'm just going to say whatever is off the top of my head Okay, is something called prohok, which is kind of like a steak sauce. Um, I think we're the only ones that make that. So yeah, I, I would, I would say that, um. It's, uh, it's like a steak sauce that's made with like anchovies and, and um, olives and a bunch of other things. Like, I don't think I'm going to rattle that off right now, but it's it's really good. <laughs> Every family makes it differently as well, which is kind of cool. Um, obviously, everybody's going to say their family makes it the best, but my family makes it the best. <laughs> um, but but that's why this is a, there's so much opportunity there, too, because because everybody makes it so different. I feel like there's a lot of room for like if somebody wanted to open up a concept or like a, a restaurant or whatnot um, with these things, you can do it multiple times because since everybody does it so differently. Um, but unfortunately, kind of putting on my pessimistic lens on not a lot of people, a lot of my peers really want to get into the industry. I'm not really sure why, um, because there's so much opportunity and there's so much um, to showcase with our foods. But I haven't seen too many people doing it. So like, mm. it's not like I'm like in love with the restaurant industry. I kind of don't even like being in the kitchen that much. I like to eat though, you know, but I like the branding. That's the stuff I love, but I just don't like mm. doing being in the kitchen. But what back to the point was um, not a lot of, of my peers are actually getting into the space of like pushing out Cambodian food. And, and that's where I saw the opportunity to showcase this. And um, it's gone really, really well. Mm-hmm. It's new. But at least through you, people have a way in to be introduced to Cambodian flavors. And since we're talking about Cambodian flavors, I have a quick follow-up question for you. Like, what is the usual flavor profile of Cambodian dishes? Is it like spicy? Is it a little sour? You know, you mentioned fish sauce. So what does it normally taste like? I mean, hard to define because we're the our dishes are so diverse and so... Um, um, damn, I'm not finding the right word for this, but it's so um, versatile. We 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 have spicy. Uh, there's umami. <laughs> there's fermentation. There's sweet. There's sour. Um, like uh, there's so many dishes that needs to be showcased that nobody, everybody's kind of taking it to the grave with them because a lot of like like, I wish, you know my, I wish my late grandma. I wish I would have sat there and just learned all of her recipes because um. Um, you know, God bless her. So I, I didn't. It's, it's really hard for her to explain <laughs> to me, like concepts and methods of how to cook it. And that's why it was, was a really difficult to get recipes from her. But I got a couple of them. But um, yeah, there's just it's so complex, and it's um because you know Southeast Asia as well has so many different spices, and and it's it's so there's just so many things uh so many things hitting your tongue. Mm-hmm. It's hard to to define it because everything is just um everything has its highlights um. All the way from our soups, we have like a million different soups that are just so, and every single one of them are really good. I mean, you've heard of pho, you've heard of, you know, 
uh, boat noodles and, and all these other types of soups and noodles. But um, if you if you know, then you know that Cambodians have, and I can say maybe like eight solid soups that none of these restaurants are selling, and they're only making it at a as a home cooked meal. So if you have any Cambodian friends with or some you know somebody's Cambodian parents, go over their house and and you'll you'll find that real soon. Wow, wow. And I'm curious, like, are there actually like any key festivals or occasions observed by Cambodian people or like Cambodian Americans? And do you guys have any sort of festive foods where you only make during those special occasions? Um, yeah, I think the beef skewers are one of them because like it, it, it needs to be cooked over charcoal. Um, and so when we're doing, and obviously that has to be cooked outside. And so when you're cooking it outside, you're like, just grilling it and the when you're driving past in and out, um, it usually what it gets you is the smell of the grilled onions, and then you you just pull in right away, you know. Um, but with with the smells of the charcoal grilled skewers, uh, it just pulls you in. You know, like one of those little cart those those Looney Tune cartoons where the little smoke finger goes around and just taps you in the nose. Yeah, that's kind of what, what 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 that is. We we also have this other concept uh, that we're selling with the golden skewers is uh, coconut corn, and so. Um, that's also unique to Cambodian food as well because I think we're the only ones that do that. So we have this um, sweet and salted caramelized coconut corn. Obviously, coconuts are plentiful in Southeast Asia, and so we've kind of mastered um, w- different ways to use coconut. I'll tell you right now, I, that not a single restaurant sells that except us. And so uh, that's kind of the only way to to have it is through us, and we, we, sell, we, we sell it and we grill it outdoors. And so... Um, uh, that's something that's cooked um, whenever, like, our family comes over. You know, we have a little charcoal grill and we grill that. Um, what other is, um, I mean, you have Khmer Street food. There's plenty of bananas in Southeast Asia. So we have uh, fried plantains, fried bananas that are, like, sesame-coated. Those, those are really good. Those have a nice little texture to them as well. Um, bananas, obviously, like, a little sweeter. And so you have, like, a really well balanced plate of like sweet, yeah, salted, yeah, umami. Mm-hmm. Um, we have so um, kimchi uh, is 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 getting a lot of uh, a notoriety for its fermented uh, veggies as far as the f- fermented veggies goes, and we have our own fermented veggies too. It's called churro, which is um, there's daikons, there's uh, young papaya, there's carrots, um, cucumbers, and a bunch of other. Uh, uh, veggies, you know, different families use different uh, recipes, but that's also really good too. And I think it's just as good as kimchi um, when it comes to uh, having it as a side for your proteins. Um, that's something that's really good as well that nobody, I mean, somebody out there wants to start a company jarring those those bad boys up. <laughs> like there's opportunity there too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just gave us a lot of amazing food business ideas that yeah. could celebrate the Cambodian culture. Yeah. And I mean, like you mentioned, Cambodian cultures or like food are so underrepresented anywhere, not just in America. I'm wondering if there are any like common misconceptions about Cambodian food. Like, would people normally make some observations or comments about Cambodian food that aren't really so accurate? Have you heard any comments like that? Well, I- it's really tough to say because nobody ever talks about our food in the first place. Exactly. You know, it's just kind of weird because so recently, but I've, I've had this conversation a lot recently with my other uh, Asian friends. But, you know, I got I got a Korean friends. I got Vietnamese friends. You know, I got Filipino friends. I got, you know, you name it. Asians are pretty diverse. But um, a lot of them have told me that they don't, they've never had Cambodian food before, 
which is interesting because like we're neighbors, you know, like Vietnam is right next to us, you know, Thai is right next to us. And, and yet we haven't, most of them, I, I've had plenty of Thai food and Vietnamese food and, and everyone's types of foods. But a lot of them have told me that not, not a lot of them actually have actually had Cambodian food. And, um, and just another observation is interesting because I'm, I don't want to generalize, but in America, Asians are just Asians, you know, we're all lumped into one group. And so people think, you know, or, or at least the unaware or the uneducated, or I don't want to use the word educated, that's kind of mean, but like the, for lack of a better term, um, the unaware mm-hmm. lump us all into one group and, and, you know, Asians are just Asians. And yet here I am sitting here with my Korean friend and with my Vietnamese friend, and they don't know much about our food, let, you know, let alone an outsider or you know, somebody who, who isn't Asian, uh, thinking that we all know hey, Asians are just Asians, you know, mm-hmm. but it's we're just so culturally diverse, um, more than people know. Mm-hmm. And so um, that brings me back to the point. There's not really much com- misconceptions when people don't even have a conception of what we do in the first place, you know. I guess so. I guess uh, just to just say just to make a point for that one, I do watch some videos of people traveling to Cambodia and stuff like that. You got and you got like some certain videos where like um. Like people are looking for the most outrageous foods that you can find. They're looking for scorpions and all these other weird stuff. And so, like, I guess some people think like, "Oh, those guys are savages." <laughs> like they're eating out here eating scorpions and like, I don't know, whatever the heck it, they're looking for. And I, I've never eaten a scorpion myself, you know, or tarantulas or all these weird things, you know. Like even my my mom doesn't eat that kind of stuff. Even when she was in Cambodia, she didn't eat that. So, <laughs> so it's like, uh, I guess that's the most weird misconception is that like, um, people's first, um. You know, people living in the Midwest or or, what, or wherever it might be, they're watching these videos of like bizarre foods in Cambodia and stuff like that, and like thinking that's that's what we eat, which is really not. You know, mm-hmm. but I mean, I wouldn't. I'm not shaming that kind of stuff either. You know, there's different regions, different um, different circumstances, and things like that. So people will find a way to um, make the best out of their situation, and that's um, with a lot of Asians, they're they're really good at doing that. You know, um, yeah, just a little. Um, I mean, like even, you know, this, the story of how food came to be was, you know, those bones were just given to them, uh, as scraps, you know? And so they turned uh, lemons into lemonade and then now food is just one of the most regarded cuisines in Vietnamese food, you know? Yeah. You raised a really good point. It's like yeah, yeah. Cambodian food is so underrepresented to yeah. the point that there aren't even misconceptions about them. This is a challenge to everybody. Y'all need to start stepping up and start yeah. showcasing some of this food. For sure. Just like last year when we did Proudly Asian Foods Month, we actually talked to a Lao American chef and then he was telling us about how there's still not much understanding about like Lao food and traditionally in America, Lao cooks would work at Thai restaurants. So sometimes some secret Thai cuisines would be kind of embedded in that Thai restaurant's menus as well. (laughs) It's weird because like there's some really good Lao food out there. But because most people don't know what Lao food is, they label themselves as Thai Lao. And so just the word Thai alone will get people to come through the door. Like, oh, we want some, let's get some Thai food, you know, but really it's like Lao food, you know? Mm-hmm. Same thing for Cambodian food too. There's like a there's like some places in, in, in LA where it's like, it's called Chinese Cambodian food. And so the word Chinese, it, it it's more familiarized with most people. And so that's the only way to get people through the doors. Now, I want to talk a little bit more about the business that you started. Um, you started Sweetgrass Sugarcane Juice around during the pandemic. So can you tell us a little bit more about what Sugarcane Juice is and why you decided to start this business? Um, I started this during the pandemic. I got laid off from my job and I was just sitting here in my boxers, sleeping until like 1, 2, 2 p.m. 
you know, thinking about what the hell I'm going to do with myself, you know. Um, and I, I've always thought to myself, like, damn, like, I know I'm, I'm so capable and I, I have a lot to to give. Um, and yet I'm not showing it. I'm not, it's not, it's not coming out. It's not, um, I got nothing to show for it. And so, like, um, you know, sometimes you sit around with your friends and you talk about these great ideas. Like, oh, you know, this would be a great idea or this would be, oh, this, you know, would be a great idea. And yet when you, when you leave, uh, it just becomes the pipe dream. Nobody ever executes, Right. Uh, I think I, during the time, during the pandemic and during my layoff, I spent a lot of time at, you know, like at my friend's house for partying every single day. I kind of went down a little, really bad little spiral uh, where we were partying and drinking and doing all this stuff. And one day I was like, damn, like every day I'm sitting here drinking and partying. Why don't I fucking step aside and, and really say what I'm going to do? And so I told everybody that I'm a... Um, I'm not going to talk anymore. I'm just going to execute. And, you know, my friends are pretty supportive and stuff like that. But, you know, they don't really know what you're really capable of until you actually show it. So when I decided to, like, not come over as much, not show up as much and be a little more absent, but, oh, I guess he was really serious, you know. And so I started designing stuff. And um, as soon as I, I, I kind of debuted it, everybody, you know, was like, oh, this guy's serious, you know. And so um, they started to support me and, like, you know, was there for me, whatever I needed to just see if these guys, this guy's the truth or not, you know, if he really meant it. And little by little, I started to gain their, um, their conviction, you know, my conviction. And, um, so I started this thing out of my apartment and I designed a really like dope logo. Um, I'm really, I'm really proud of the logo and, uh, uh, it looked really professional. And so I started taking like these photos of some of the drinks. I started making these stickers and, I started taking some really uh, really good looking photos and I started, you know, we posted them online and people actually thought it was a real restaurant. So like um, I'd post uh, the photos and people would order through my DMs on Instagram and there was a skate park that we used to sell at. And so like, and then my friend owned the house in the corner right there. And so we would sell it out of the the backyard and people would pull up to the skate park like, hey, I, I'm here at the address. It doesn't look like there's any stores here or whatever. And I'd come out the backyard with a bunch of drinks and like, oh, and then they tell me like, oh, wow, like the way you marketed it or the way I, I had posted online, the way I had presented it seemed like it was like, oh, a new sugarcane juice shop would, would open up and, and you know, everybody was all excited and stuff. And um, that's how it all started. So I, I've always viewed like even from the beginning that I, I knew where I was going to be at and I wanted to it to be legit and look like look like it was a real uh, like a real concept. That's how I viewed it. You know, I, I, I saw the end in mind. And I treated it as a real professional business. And so um, it just took me some reverse engineering on how to get there. And so, um, so yeah, I started on my backyard. I grew a following there and then I saved every penny that I had. Um, and I put it into a juice truck, um, the infamous uh, Sweetgrass juice truck. And then I was in juice, that juice truck for maybe about a little over a year. I saved every penny that I had. I was probably, you know, at that time, like a lot of, I was getting a lot of support from my friends and my family. I was going out, going, I was, people were feeding me to, food, you know, they were feeding me, you know, I, I really literally saved every penny to open up this shop. And so like, um, my, my clothes were tattered. I didn't buy any, I sold every, sold all my belongings, you know, I was bumming food off of people and things like that. And so, um, I think from my backyard into the shop, it took me about a year and a half, maybe two years to get to this point. So, um, I really literally turned nothing into something. Um, and then all while racking up credit card uh, debt. I was probably like maybe 15K in credit card debt. Um, 
I literally started this thing down on my luck. I had a dollar in my pocket plus a dream and um, I made it out. I, I did it really, really fast. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that's kind of my story. And uh, I think I've made a lot of people proud. Uh, a lot of people in my community um, have mentioned that to me. And it, it's a really like probably the, the greatest honor for somebody to tell me that. And so I only hope to inspire and I only hope to, um, I hope my convictions show that that you really can flip the script of your movie at any point in your life, even if you're down your luck, even if you're in debt, even if you're just not mentally in the right space or you're having mental issues or anything like that. Like, you know, it, if you can change your mindset, you can really change your trajectory and it can happen as fast as a blink of an eye. That's such an inspiring self-made entrepreneurial journey. And I want to understand a little bit more about like sugarcane juice as well. It's like, why did you choose sugarcane juice? And tell us a little bit more about the new, more modern sugarcane juice recipes that you created for the brand as well. So sugarcane juice is pretty prevalent in like some certain communities, like the Vietnamese community, you know, they call it Nukmia. Um, And so currently right now, I mean, like, there's a lot of mon pa shops selling sugarcane juice. And um, when I say modernize and, and re-innovation, I really, I'm a believer in innovation. And I think um, because a lot of places that do currently serve sugarcane juice are just like mon pa shops, I thought that um, the different angle would be to to um, market it as a, a new, as you can see, like, I mean, even with these hats, like I, do, we, I designed these hats myself and the logo Everything looks more modern, and when you when you go into a shop, you want to see like more modern uh, architecture or just more modern design and, and um interior designing and things like that. And so um and then not only that, like a lot of these mom pa shops, they're not on Instagram, they're not on social media, they're not um thinking of those things, obviously. And so that's where I I started. You know, I um my first drink that I had uh, um started was uh, our dragon fruit mixture with sugarcane juice. And so if you um you know we can pull up a picture of it, you'll see that it's, it's really like aesthetically pleasing to look at. Um, I, I incorporated this effect called the gradient effect and um, um, the, the dragon fruit, it's layered on top of, I use red dragon fruit and gets layered on top of the juice, which is yellow. And so like, as, as you look at it, it, it kind of blends into the yellow color. And so uh, it's very, you know, they say you eat with your eyes first. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at social media, you know, I started posting this drink and it caught a lot of people's attention because it looks really pretty. Obviously, everybody loves to take pictures of their foods. And so um, when I um, was selling this dragon fruit, which is one of my first flavors that I sold, people uh, felt inclined to repost it because it looked really pretty. And so, you know, when somebody posted it on their story, somebody's probably going to message them like, where'd you get that from? That looks really pretty. Like, yeah, you know, you get it from this spot, you know, it tastes as good as it looks, you know. So what sugarcane juice is, uh, it's um, sugarcanes are grown in most tropical regions of the world. Um, it's not as prevalent in here in America, but um, a lot of, you know, people who immigrant who immigrated here will tell you like, man, I haven't had this since I was back in the home country, you know. So um, um, the concept is that um, the sugarcane juice is the raw form of sugar. It's not artificial. And so um, it um, has some benefits to it as well. Obviously, it grows from Mother Earth, you know. But um, we, we have a cold press machine that we run it through and it juices out all of the juice inside of the sugar cane. And it, um, you, you, when you add ice and any other natural flavoring, natural fruits, it pretty much enhances. Uh, if we throw in watermelon, it makes the watermelon taste three times better. Um, and it's pretty much a natural way to sweeten things. It's just um, every item on our menu is really refreshing and it's hydrating. 
And so it has a lot of staying power as well because um, we don't use any processed ingredients and it's vegan. It's it's all natural. So it checks all the boxes that I thought had a lot of staying power and a lot of what people want to hear um, as far as like progressive thinking. And so um, I thought in my mind thinking that it could be the next milk tea boba craze another alternative option but healthier for sure yeah healthier yeah <laughs> yeah i was gonna ask you if there were any like challenges when you were trying to introduce the drink to a larger audience but then seeing how you described they look so pretty you know yeah. for those who are looking for instagramable options then i guess it's probably quite easy to kind of get people's buy-in and get them to try it out right yeah, the first thing you do is when you observe, you observe with your eyes, you know, and then and then you wonder how it tastes. But yeah, I mean, like, that's why I had to become a master at my craft. Not like I love sugarcane or anything like that. I'm like super passionate about it. But it, it just but in, in, at anything you do, you have to put your best foot forward. And so I became a master at my craft. I learned everything there is about sugarcane juice. And um, I think the more conviction you have in what you're trying to explain to people, no matter what you tell them, you know, What's unsaid as well is just, like I said, my conviction had convinced people that it's like the best thing ever. And so when people come in, like, what's sugarcane juice? You know, you just got to be really good at explaining it. And so I explain it to them and, and my conviction sells the rest. And uh, the only thing left to do is there's only one way to find out if it's good or not, go, come, come over here and try it. Yeah. And then once they try it, like, oh, wow, you, were, you weren't kidding. This is really, really good. It's really refreshing. Yeah. And uh, before we move on to the next segment, I just want to quickly ask you, you know, what can people really learn about Cambodian culture through its food whenever they get the chance to try it? Yeah, just the flavors are just going to smack you left and right. <laughs> I mean, if you love Thai food, you love Vietnamese food, you love Lao food, you're going to love Cambodian food. It's kind of in that same realm. We all do things very similar, but if you have a really good tongue, you'll understand the differences. But yeah, there's just too many dishes. Um, we have a Cambodian friend go over to her house and have them cook you some food. Nice, nice. And um, now it's time for us to move on to the next segment, which is called Rapid Fires. And in this segment, I'll be asking my guests biased questions that they've got asked at some point in life. And in Johnny's case, some biased questions people might have about Cambodian cuisine or culture. So Johnny, are you ready to answer all the questions? No, I'm not ready, but go for it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The first question is, did you get whooped as a child? Did I get whooped? Hell yeah, I did. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I don't know. Um... I don't know if people are doing this today, but I think it, it was probably good for me because I was a bad kid. Um, yeah, I got whipped on with probably anything you can find. Um, sometimes my mom would be like, go grab that tree branch because I can whip you with it. I'm like, oh, shit. Um, I've gotten hit with chopsticks. I've gotten hit with, like, fly slaughters. I've gotten hit with everything. Um, I don't know. We were... I, I mean, I guess this is... I don't know if this is my generation or something, but, like, yeah, we got, we got whipped. We got our ass kicked. Um, I mean, I think... So it wasn't a bias. <laughs> no, yeah, we definitely... I definitely got whooped. Yeah. But... Yeah. All right. And the next one is, have you ever owned a donut shop? That's a good question because most Cambodians, as you know, own all the donut shops in California and, and, and beyond. Um, that's a pretty crazy story too. Watch the Donut King documentary. But anyways, um, yeah, actually we did own a donut shop. Um, my... my 
mom who um after my biological father had passed away the whatever money we had we invested into a business my mom had that entrepreneurial spirit as well but um um we invested into a donut shop and i think like three weeks in we got robbed at gunpoint and pretty much lost the business and so that kind of broke my mom's spirit and she also started a um a sweatshop as well that also uh didn't work out for us as well that kind of broke her spirit but that spirit lives on in me and so she's like she's always around uh kind of supporting me as well um but yeah we did own a donut shop mm-hmm. it, it, that's a crazy story right wow. like three weeks in we got robbed yeah at gunpoint so it's 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 stupid i mean what, what could have been you know who knows if that could have provided me opportunities uh financial um opportunities to pursue uh whatever you know uh my uh, my scholarship career i mean like i might have been more of a scholar if i hadn't didn't have to worry about mm. working during college days you know who the heck knows I'd, exactly you know and the next question is did you celebrate christmas or holidays um no we did not um we did not celebrate christmas until like i was an adult no we didn't i don't know why um wow <laughs> Yeah, right. I didn't. I mean, I knew Christmas was celebrated at school, but when he got home, we never. Had, I didn't. I don't think really. I don't think our family even had a Christmas tree until I was like in my twenties. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, moving on. Did you grow up in gang culture in Long Beach? Um. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. It was everywhere. I mean, yeah. I grew up on the block. You know, um, Rose and Fourteenth is where I grew up and. That's all you're kind of exposed to, you know. Um, obviously, I never joined a gang. Mm. And finally, in rapid bias, is Cambodian foods more different or the same as other Southeast Asian food? Yes, yes, it's very different. Um, only if you have a good tongue and a good palate will you understand the differences. Mm. If you don't, probably taste the same to you guys. But there is, you know, to a uh, to someone with a really good palate, there is, yeah. Thank you for playing this round of rapid bias. Now, for us to wrap up the episode, I'm curious: what have you been up to? What's next for you, Johnny? Tell us about your upcoming ventures, and where can our audience who happen to be in California find you? So you can find me at Sweetgrass Sugarcane Juice, located in Long Beach, uh, in the district of Bixby Knolls. Um, we have a really, really aesthetically pleasing store. If you Like good vibes, you like good drinks. Should pull up to my shop. Um, for the Golden Skewer, we don't have a storefront for that yet. But if you're in Los Angeles, downtown LA to be exact, every single Sunday we do uh, pop ups there, um, and uh, let us make some really good grilled food for you. Um, you can find if you can't find our booth, just follow your nose. Know, you'll 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 find us there. Um, And um, as far as upcoming projects do, I do have a couple other startups that uh, shh, don't tell anybody, but I think <laughs> this might be the big thing. But I do have this brand of chips. Um, they're made from chili peppers. Um, wow! It's still in the startup phase, um, but give me some time. As soon as I get the other two to be uh, more self-automated, I'm gonna start working on this third project and um and many more projects. I mean, I don't know why I'm into food for, but. There's a lot of opportunity there, but I'm 
and I don't know why I'm I'm into food. You don't even like the kitchen. <laughs> I don't even like me in the kitchen, but like, this will probably be my last food idea. Right, right. I think. Um, but anyways, yeah, I got this other uh, pepper chip, um, cowboy pepper chips. Remember that name? You'll hear about it very soon. Maybe don't don't uh, uh don't doubt that I'm I won't be on the shelves of Costco's or or, or something something big one of these days with this with this project. But uh, you'll you'll hear about it very soon. Wow, you'll hear it here first. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're kind of also working on a project related to Cambodian hot pot. Is this something that you can tell us about? Okay, so if you love hot pot and you have a Cambodian friend, ask them to make some yaohan for you. So, I'll, you know, hot pots are great. You know, Koreans make really great hot pots. Japanese, you know, shabu is really great. Um, Thais have some hot pots. Um, you've never heard of Cambodian hot pot because nobody's ever done it before. And so um, this is something that if, you know, when you say Christmas, um, this is what we had for Christmas. Or for, when you say Thanksgiving, this is what we eat for Thanksgiving. We didn't eat turkey. We, ate, we had yaohan. Wow. And it's a Cambodian-style hot pot. And so it's like a community thing where, you know, this big boiling pot and then you throw your, you dip your meats in and things like that. Um, but nobody's ever taken this concept out of their, ho- their home. So I'm uh, working on this collaboration with the Japanese restaurant with uh, one of my f- Korean friends who um, runs the place. Um, and so we're we're doing like a something like a like a yaohan experience and showcasing what uh, a modern look at at this concept could look like in a really nice place and so um that's still in the works right now i'm working out the kinks with that one here but uh if you're in the city of irvine and, and you hear about this thing you should definitely pull up and try it out because uh cambodian hot pot is really really good mm, yeah wow and I guess with all the amazing uh, projects that you're working on, people will probably... Yeah, I told you that would do food again. Here's another one. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So if people want to keep tabs on all the food projects that you're working on, where can they find you on social media? Like you as the person. <laughs> oh, you need me as the person. You can find me at Johnny Bone. Um, the bones is spelled with a zero. Follow me and you'll see all the crazy stuff. I'm a madman, I guess. Yeah. All the food projects. The food project <laughs> and all my shenanigans that I do. And finally, for us to close the episode, I just have one last question for you, Johnny. To you, what does it mean to be proudly Cambodian American? Um, it means that I got it out the mud. It means um, more to me to break through than it could mean for anybody else because of what our people went through. And so um, we're starting from the ground. You know, they say... Uh, you know, they left our people buried in the dirt, but they didn't know that we were seed and I'm that seed. That's amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us and tell us all about your food projects and Cambodian cuisine. Thank you for having me. That's it for this episode of Proudly Asian. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at proudly.asian for more content. We are on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Leave us a five-star review on wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and signing off for now. I'm Isabel Wong. Just, just, just.